Welcome to Antioch Raleigh's weekly online sermon. We hope that you are encouraged by this word. For more information on Antioch Raleigh or access to our other online sermons, visit us at AntiochRaleigh.com. Well, I have a real treat this morning uh, introducing Travis Nicholson. Come on up here, Travis. Many of you know that Travis was part of the founding team. He was the college pastor for how many years were you college pastor? Was it uh, five, five, five years? Yeah. Five years. He was yeah. a, co- a lot of a lot of you were discipled by Travis. You know that a lot of folks that have gone to the nations were discipled by Travis. Travis uh, is a Baylor grad, but he's just now a brand new, brand new minted MBA. You got you graduated yeah, this yeah, week, right? Yeah. GW. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. George Washington, a great school in Washington D.C. He's now one of the well, um, leaders, because uh, he, he's always a leader. He's all, he's a, you know what leaders are, don't you? They're the ones that just serve, right? That's who leaders are. They pick it up. And uh, I will just say this. Travis has always been one of the most devoted disciples of Jesus I've ever met. Mm-hmm. I have a great deal of respect. Travis no matter what the circumstance, always falls towards Jesus. He always leans into Jesus. Love you, brother. Let me pray for you. Lord, I just thank you so much for this word he's going to share with us. Lord, we receive it gladly. We thank you for everything you've done in his life, what he continues to do, how, how you continue to exalt him and raise him up in your body as a leader. And Lord, we just bless him this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Steve. Wow, so great to be back. Love it here. You guys have something really special at this church and at this family, and it's just a joy to be back. So like Steve said, my name's Travis. If I haven't got to meet you, would love to meet you guys. Um, But I'm up in D.C. now. We just planned a new Antioch church there two years ago, Antioch, D.C., and so we're going strong. And um, yeah, just a joy to be back. I've been, I was here in 2012, moved to Antioch, Raleigh, and left in 2017, and uh, moved to D.C. in 2019. And yeah, I wanted to just start this morning by just sharing some of the things that we felt that God spoke when we first planted this church, and just to encourage you guys that you guys are a part um, of something bigger than yourself. You're part of a movement that, that loves and prays for you. You're part of uh, a God story that's bigger than yourself and bigger than this one church, but I think God is specifically pleased with you and specifically pleased with God's design and God's purposes for Antioch Raleigh. And so, yeah, just so thankful to be here this morning. I want to start off sharing a picture of actually my first Antioch Raleigh Sunday. And so I think we have a picture up there. You can kind of see it's kind of dark, but this was at NC State in Park Shops, if you know where that is. I think there were like 30, 35 people on that first Sunday all college students, um, and Jordan's there leading on the keys, and uh, Zach's praying for someone with his, in a headlock or something, and uh, those, were, those were some fun, fun early days, and it's just been incredible to see the faithfulness of God, where we went from 30 college students to NC State to what we see here today, and uh, missionaries around the world, and, and so on and so forth. It's so encouraging. 
I also wanted to share just uh, one of the funnier stories that happened during our early days. Um, so before this, we were at Cary High School, and then before that, we were at East Cary Middle School. And so that's sort of more where I did a lot of pastoring and preaching and, and serving there. And um, the middle school is right next to a big forest, and the forest actually had a colony of bats. Yeah, like big, scary, like bats. And um, occasionally, we would come in early for setup, and the, the worship team would, would come in the back, and we'd see like a little fur ball on the ground. And we'd be like, what is that? It's like a bat sleeping. And so we'd capture it in a bucket or something and throw it back in the forest. Well, one time, we're, we're backstage, we're getting ready, and we see like 40 feet up, there's just a bat just hanging out there on the rafters. And there's nothing we can do. I don't know if we like threw things at it to try to get it away, but just, it was just there sleeping. So we're like, all right, we're just going to go with service and not worry about the bat. Well, sure enough, worship starts. We're five, we're 10 minutes into worship, and the bat decides to wake up. And so the bat literally not just flies over the stage, but flies through the stage and starts circling over the audience. It's just circling over the, over the, over the crowd. It's going like this. Half the people are freaking out. I remember one girl, it was Victoria, she was right here. She just like flails her hands up in the air and goes, ah, and like runs to the back of the room. And then the other half of the, uh, other half of the, the group is just totally in worship. They don't know what's going on. And Jor Jordan's up here. He's just leading in worship. He never stops the entire time. So a bat's flying over us for a good like two minutes. And then someone comes back to me and he goes, ah, the bats are attracted to darkness. We need to turn on the lights and then they'll go back. I'm like, oh, okay, that's a good idea. So I go, I flip on the lights. The lights, you know, shine in the middle of worship. Now everyone's like, what's going on? Oh, there's a bat, better duck. And, and the bat, sure enough, it works and it goes, it goes backstage. But it's just one of those things. It's like, where am I right now? I did not sign up for this at Antioch Discipleship School, learning how to make, plant a church of what do you do when bats interrupt your service? But you never know. You never know. And that's just some of the joys of, of planting a church and being in ministry and being with the people of God. And so thankful um, to be back and, and be here this morning. And like I said, I wanted to start off, before I get into the main part of the message, about what this church was founded on. Because this church really has a prophetic foundation and a prophetic story, a God story that you guys are a part of. Um, if you don't know, our, the, the founding pastor, Colby Lehman, they were missionaries in Tunisia for a number of years. And God gave him a really clear picture to come back to Raleigh, North Carolina. And one of the pictures he had was that God was creating a, a worship culture, a worship movement, a, worship, a people who love the presence of God right here in the Triangle. And so if you ever have that thought of, I think worship is, is kind of long. We kind of focus a little bit too much on worship. That's a good thing. That's purposeful. That's a God-designed uh, thing for Antioch Raleigh, that we would be a worship-centered church, a people of the presence of God. And the second part of this picture was that you'd have these people that were so attracted to the presence of God that their hearts would be transformed. And it's like they had these hearts of bars of gold, and yet it was covered with the debris of the world. And just as they worshiped, that got refined and refined and revealed just these hearts of pure gold. And then from that place, they were sent, sent across the U.S. and across the globe, all around the world, making an impact for Jesus. And that's what this church is called to be, to be a church-planting church. And it's so encouraging that we've seen the church plant in Boone, and we had a work in Bowie's Creek a number of years ago, and we have uh, some of our team going to South Asia, all of that are the first fruits of what we're called to be in a church-planting church. I remember in October 2015, 
uh, Colby woke up in the middle of the night and felt the Lord speak clearly to his spirit, believe for 200 churches to come out of Antioch, Raleigh. And so that was something we prayed real intently for, for a season. God, would you give us those 200 churches? We're believing for 200 churches. And so I just want to pass that on to you to continue to pray and believe for that what is happening here is just a hub. It's just a base. It's just a foundation of what God's going to do in the years and decades to come in and through your congregation. Amen? Amen. All right, one more thing, and, Col- and, and uh, Steve hit on it earlier about discipleship. This church was founded on discipleship. This church was not founded on big events and, you know, come see a great preacher, come see a great worship band. No, it's founded in investing in twos and threes. And so from the beginning, our church has been committed to discipleship, committed to making disciples. And it's something that we just believe that the Lord has called us to. And so I just want to encourage you guys to continue to press into your walk with the Lord, press into relationship with twos and threes, be committed to your life group, be committed to, to Sunday. You're part of something that's so much bigger than yourself. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. Well, now we can start the sermon. So I listened to part of uh, Ben's message from last week. I think we're on a series about spiritual disciplines, which is exciting. And we're called to hold certain spiritual disciplines. And I was thinking, okay, Ben, this is kind of a weird time. Like it's May, we're going into the summer. Why are we talking about spiritual disciplines? But then uh, I, I got this verse came to mind, Proverbs 6, um, where it says, Go to the ant and consider its ways and be wise. Though it has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. And so often when we go into summer, there can be this temptation to just throw off restraint, throw off discipline, kind of like kick back and take it easy. But I believe God is calling us to actually have discipline this summer where we integrate the, the life of the Spirit, where we actually discipline our, ourselves to pray, uh, to commune with God, to commune with people, to, to fellowship, to these different, uh, whether it's fasting or, or studying Scripture, that these disciplines are actually for our good, and it's going to prepare you for what Jesus has. And oftentimes we think of, oh, if, if I could only get away from discipline, then I'd be happy, then I'd have rest. Well, let me just tell you from personal experience, I'm actually coming out of one of the least disciplined uh, seasons of my life, and it was awful. Uh, anyone else doing Zoom church or Zoom uh, school? Zoom school? It's, it's the worst. I'm like listening to the professor. I'm like, okay, I'm kind of tracking uh, news. Okay, yeah, yep, okay, yep. Oh, okay. So like I'm doing an you know, MBA program, and it just was not that challenging. It was not that fun. It was not that engaging. And I just had a lot of free time on my hands. And I just, I could wake up whenever I want. I could take a nap whenever I want. And in some ways, like, wow, that sounds like the dream. It was awful. My spirit was dead. I was bored. It's not what I was created for. And so, uh, as weird as it might, might sound, we're created to live a life that's disciplined. And so, trying to get back into it, I'm starting a new job on June 21st. And so, thank you. And real excited to jump in, but I'm learning, okay, I need to figure out how to get to bed on time, how to start a workout routine, how to get some discipline into my life. <laughs> discipline in my life. Uh, it's like my girlfriend Kendall's here. Everyone say hi to Kendall. Um, uh, for a graduation gift, she gave me this jar of protein powders, like literally this big. And it has 11 servings in the entire jar. I'm like, how, how is that? But anyways, so... Uh, Anyways, so 
excited to exercise discipline this summer, and I am inviting you guys as a church into the journey with me, that we would be uh, a people that live with discipline, that live with integrity, that live with those um, that we're, we're just jumping in. And it's part about getting into the rhythm of God, getting into what is your rhythm. And I think that's a big part of discipline. If you don't have a rhythm for working out, if you don't have a rhythm uh, for eating healthy, if you don't have a rhythm for going to bed and waking up at a certain time, it doesn't happen. So one of the rhythms, one of the disciplines I want to talk about today is one of my favorite, and that is getting in the Word of God. Getting in the Word of God. As a believer, I believe that this is God's truth, that this is literally God's Word. And so I don't want a day to go by where this isn't flowing in and through my life. And that's what we're called to do. So, you know, my daily rhythm is You know, I read a psalm, I read a proverb, and I read a passage either from the Old Testament or New Testament, and that's sort of my daily diet, my daily discipline of of Scripture. But I'm getting to this place where I don't just want to read for head knowledge. I don't want to just read for comprehension. I don't want to just read to kind of check off a box. I want to read to be transformed. I want to read where I get the Word of God so in me that I'm renewed and that I'm transformed. And so that's actually what we want to talk about today is the discipline of meditating on God's Word. Meditating on God's Word. And, you know, you think of meditation, we often think of, um, you know, doing the yoga pose or something like that. That's not what I'm talking about. That's not uh, Christian meditation. So Eastern meditation, that's the practice of emptying yourself. You're emptying yourself. Christian meditation is actually the practice of filling yourself. You're filling yourself with God's Word. You're filling yourself with God's wisdom. Meditating on God's word is the practice of getting God's word inside of you. And we're not talking about head knowledge. I love scripture memory, but the Pharisees knew scripture really well. You can actually know this book and be distant from God. You can know this book and be disconnected from God's heart and God's ways and God's purpose. Uh, Jesus actually said this to Pharisees in John 5, 39 through 40. This incredible scripture He says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. But it is they that bear witness about me, and yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. So the Pharisees, they were memorizing this book. They were making it all about studying this book, but they weren't reading the spirit that said to go to Jesus, that was pointing to Jesus, and they were missing it. And so it's not about head knowledge. It's about being transformed as we meditate on God's word. We want to use scripture as a place of encounter. It's all about encounter. It's all about connecting with your father. And so when you read a scripture, it's not just, okay, I want to memorize this. I want to get it. It's, it's, you turn it into a prayer. You turn your Bible study into ministering to the Lord. You turn your Bible study into a prayer of, Jesus, I see this. I want this to be true in my life. Would you show me? Would you help me? And so we're going to do some of that today, um, talking about meditating on God's Word. So my plan for today is, is kind of quickly just talk about four reasons. Cody, where's Cody? He told me, so Cody Oakley and I were roommates, and um, he said, apparently I used to speak, uh, speak and talk in my sleep. And I was talking in my sleep one night, I guess it was, and I said, uh, I said oh no, it won't work unless the sermon has four points. It won't work unless it has four points. <laughs> And so apparently that's just in me, so I have to have four points. So I have four reasons uh, 
why you need to meditate on God's word. And then I actually want to carve out some time at the end where we actually do it together, where we actually can meditate on God's word together because um, ultimately talk is cheap, but we want to be those who practice the word of God, who practice um, what we're preaching. So four reasons why we meditate on God's word. Reason number one, we meditate on God's word because we follow Jesus. Because we follow Jesus. As Jesus' followers, we're called to be imitators of him. Jesus was entrenched in scripture. And sometimes we get this idea that, you know, Jesus just had this special connection with the Father that he, he didn't really need the Bible. He really didn't need or lean on scripture. And that is not true. We see throughout the Gospels that Jesus was overflowing with scripture. Just think about how did Jesus overcome temptation in the desert? By quoting scripture. How did Jesus start his ministry? By quoting scripture. What were Jesus' final words on the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's Psalm 22. He was quoting scripture. And you think there's, there's one time when you quote scripture when you're in church and you're comfortable and it's nice, but can you think being nailed to the cross, what's coming out of you? And for him, it's scripture. It's the love of God. It's the mercy of God. Forgive them. He was embedded with the word of God. In fact, his first act after the resurrection was to lead people to scripture. We see this in Luke 24, uh, what they call the road to Emmaus, uh, verses 25 and 27. Uh, He's speaking to some followers. And he said to them, How foolish are you, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And begin with beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures, all the scriptures concerning himself. So Jesus' first act after the resurrection is to hold a Bible study. And could you imagine being there? He literally goes from Genesis to to Malachi. He goes through Psalms. He goes through Proverbs and he points. He says, this is all pointing to me. This is all pointing to me. This is all pointing to a greater reality. And that is that Christ would die, suffer, be buried, and raise again. And so we see that Jesus was a man of the word. Jesus was a man who studied and knew the scriptures, and he asks us to do the same. I love what it says later in this, in the Road to Emmaus passage, verse 32. They're having this, uh, you know, post-life group discussion. What do you think about life group? Oh, I liked it. Maybe not so great snacks, but, you know, it, we'll try better next time. They're saying, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? And you see, it's not about head knowledge. There was a burning of the hearts as they read the scripture. Is your heart burning when you read the Bible? Is your heart burning when you spend time with Jesus? That's what I'm here to exhort you today, to get back to that place of burning, get back to that place where you're not just reading a dry text as if it's some textbook. This is living and active. This is the very words of Jesus. And we want to be burning as we read it. And so we want to be like Jesus. Jesus was a man of the word. Jesus was deeply entrenched in the scriptures. And we want scripture to flow out of us like that. Uh, if I had to pick one key verse for today, it'd be Psalm uh, 1, uh, verses 1 and 2. Blessed is the man or woman who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor seats in the, sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night.
We're called to meditate on God's Word day and night. You know, as a, as a college pastor, there was always the debate of, you know, is it okay if I spend time with Jesus at night? I'm really tired in the mornings. I have an 8 a.m. class, and so that's not good for me. And it's like, okay, well, yeah, we can, it doesn't really matter the time. But, but there was a debate, you know, do you spend time with Jesus at night or in the morning? And scripturally, it looks like the answer is both. So that's my goal, is to be one that 24-7, I'm living with Jesus, but I do, my goal is to have an intentional time in God's Word in the morning and the evening, um, because I want to be a, a Psalm 1 man. All right, so that's point number one, reason number one. Reason number two, we meditate on God's Word because it anchors us in truth. It anchors us in truth. Now, this is huge. When I was in college, uh, Jesse was there. He's my first life group leader, by the way. Give it up for Jesse Harris, best life group leader around. Um, so when I was in college, I had... <laughs> I'm not that great, Jesse. Um, and uh, so when I was in college, we had a big college ministry, 500 students. I had 50 to 100 close friends. You know how it is in college. And we were all passionately following Jesus. And I'm now 32, and so I've been out of college for a good decade, and as I look back and see, wow, not everyone is, is so passionate about Jesus anymore. And year by year, as time goes on, I see more and more people decide, you know what? Jesus isn't worth it. You know what? Jesus' church isn't worth it. It's not for me. And they go to the wayside. And, you know, these people were, were genuine, but I think part of it, they were, they were passionate about worship. They were passionate about community. They were passionate about making an impact and going on mission trips. But I think in their heart of hearts, they weren't convinced that this is true. They weren't convinced that this is God's truth. And we have to be convinced. We have to be convinced. And we all have our own journey with that. I had my own journey in college of, of, of learning and knowing and understanding and coming to grips with this being God's truth. And I could take the next 30 minutes and try to convince you that this is God's truth. I could talk about how from Genesis to Revelation, it was written over 1,500 years by 40 different authors and has remarkable unity in the message. I could talk about how textual criticism has proven the integrity of Scripture. I could talk about archaeological evidence that proves the Bible's true. But the truth is, you have to search it out for yourself. You have to be convinced in your own heart of hearts that this is true. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. We need to be anchored in God's truth. It's breathed out by God. This, this word in the Greek means it's spirited. It's literally you're having an interaction with God's spirit when you read scripture. And it's our it's our anchor for teaching, reproof, correction, training. That means that I should be able to have a standard of truth in Scripture, and I can go to your life and say, Warren, I love you, man, but I'm seeing this area of your life, and I'm seeing Scripture, and there's a misalignment there. So what are we doing? We're aligning to God's Word. We're not aligning to Travis's opinion. We're not aligning to culture. We're not aligning to what this person says or what that person says. We're always aligning to this plumb line of God's truth. And we need this now more than ever. We're seeing an acceleration of change in our culture and our society. Biblical truth is being challenged every which way. 
And I'm sort of in the heart of it in Washington, D.C. In fact, one of our leaders recently, um, she works part-time as a, a, um, I just lost the name of it, lactation consultant. Do any dudes know what a lactation consultant is? Raise your hand if you do. Anyone? Anyone? No? Uh, A moi thing. All right, what's a lactation consultant? Someone over there. Yes, yes, you're, you're helping mom, you're, you're, you're coaching moms and new moms to, to feed their babies, milk, all that good stuff. So anyway, so she's a part-time uh, lactation consultant, and she got a memo from the DC clinic, and this memo said, hey, we're having some uh, structure changes and some language changes, and you really need to comply or you're going to be fired. And it just was a couple little updates. One update is uh, no longer refer to uh, them as a mother or a father but rather the gender-neutral term as parent. So just parent. So it's not, it's not a mother's child, it's just the parent's child. And then secondly, it's no longer um, uh, breasts or breast milk, but chest and chest milk. And so here she is as a lactation consultant. I'm like, okay, I'm working with moms doing breastfeeding, and now it's parent and chest feeding. I think this is all getting a little too much for me. And it's because... Our culture does not have this as their standard of truth, but we do. And the culture is changing fast, and they're looking for answers. And we need to know where we stand. You need to be ready to know that when your boss comes in and asks you to sign something and say you're going to be fired unless you agree to this, where are you going to go? And our culture is changing so quickly that I want to exhort you to be rooted and grounded in what Scripture says. Not even what Steve says about the Scripture, Not even what you think about the scripture, not even what your pastor back home says about the scripture, what the scripture says. Acts 17 talks about the the Bereans, how they diligently studied the scriptures to see if what Paul was preaching was true. And that's what we're called to. We need the word of God as an anchor in our hearts, as an anchor in our lives. So we meditate on God's word because it anchors us in truth. Point number three. We meditate on God's word because it connects us to the eternal. It connects us to eternity. Isaiah 40, verse 8, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. God's word is eternal. In 200 years, nobody is going to care about what you wrote on Facebook. In fact, in 10 days, nobody's going to care what you wrote on Facebook, but they're still going to be talking about this book. When you read this book, it connects you to the timeline that's so much bigger than yourself. It connects you to eternity. It connects you to an eternal frame of mind. And when we digest and meditate on God's word, it helps us to see things in light of the eternal. Helps us to see things in light of eternity. I was just kind of daydreaming recently of like, what would Paul's letters be like if Paul didn't have an eternal perspective? You ever think about that? Like, dear church at Philippi, I'm in prison. Life sucks right now. I'm not getting any sleep. I haven't eaten for days. This is really hard. And I don't really like God right now. You know, that, that was his reality. He wasn't sleeping. He wasn't eating. He was in prison. He was beaten. And yet, you read his letters, and it's full of hope. It's full of faith. He says, I'm, I'm so happy what's happening because it's serving to advance the cause of Christ. And it's storing for me an eternal weight of glory. And you see, okay, Paul, Paul was dealing with something. Paul had a revelation of eternity that I didn't have. 
that I don't have in my, my life because I, I do feel, man, that, this thing happened today and that really affected me. Okay, how do, I, how do I get an eternal perspective? I meditate on those words. I meditate on the words of Paul. Um, if we have 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18, one of my favorite passages, um, it says, we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And so God's word helps us to see light and momentary afflictions for what they are. And it allows us to live for a higher calling and live for eternity. And so we meditate on God's word because it connects us and it it calls us to live for another age. It calls us to live beyond ourselves. And I also want to include, we also see scriptures uh, that exhort us to think about heaven, glimpses of heaven, glimpses of the eternal in scripture. Um, Revelation 4, 4 through 6, this is something that I would say, if if you need a a passage to to just chew on and meditate on for the next uh, couple weeks, we actually are de-school in D.C. Uh, They were tasked to memorize Revelation 4 and 5, and it was just to have this heart of eternity, this heart of heaven. And you see this glimpse uh, of, of Revelation 4, of the throne room of God, where around the throne are 24 thrones, seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments, with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne, there's flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was a sea of glass like crystal. So you just read through uh, Revelation 4 and 5, and you just picture the throne room of God. And you just say, Jesus, I worship you. Jesus, you are worthy. Jesus, you are glorious. Lord, would you take me, take me to see things from a heavenly perspective. Let me see what the angels are doing right now. Let me see what a live, a live stream of heaven is right now. Lord, take me up. Take me up. I want to see with your perspective. And that's how the disciples live. That's how John lived. That's how Paul lived. They, they lived with this heavenly perspective and the only way we can get that way, the only way we can find that is through Scripture. By meditating on God's Word, it anchors us to the eternal. It calls us to live for something greater than ourselves. And the more we meditate on this vision of heaven, the more the pull of this world will loosen its grip. So that's point number three. Point number four, reasons why we meditate on God's Word. We meditate on God's Word because it's our source of life. It's our source of life. Where else can we go, Lord? For you alone have the words of eternal life. We're called to live alive. Yet so many of us, where, where are you seeking out your life? Are you seeking out your life and your satisfaction in your job, in your marriage, in your family, in your children, your relationships? That will run dry. This is our only eternal source of life. This is God's word, and it leads us to him who is the eternal spring of life that never runs dry. And so by immersing ourselves in God's word, we're filling up our spirits with life. I love Psalm 119. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God's word will illuminate that path for you. 
Some of you are praying, God, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And sometimes we're, we're waiting on that, that big prophetic word, and those big prophetic words are incredible, and I love those too. But there's also a place of just being immersed in the scripture because your word is a light unto my feet, a lamp unto my path. Uh, Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and active. It's alive. When you're interacting with this, with this book, it's not like any other book. The words are actually living and active, and there's a, a spiritual effect that it has on your spirit. Even I like to joke like how we are so attracted to the, the next book that comes out or reading the news or all those types of things, and yet we forget, like, this is, like, this is, these are the words of Jesus. Imagine if God wrote a book, how popular it would be, and everyone would be like, oh, God just wrote a book. It's on Amazon. Two-day shipping. You got you to get it. Like, sign up now. Like, it would be sold out, right? Well, God wrote 66 books, and they're right here. And yet, most of us aren't reading it. Most of us aren't absorbing it. Most of, it, most of us aren't excited to open up to Obadiah. But Obadiah is more God's word than a book that Steve or I wrote, you know? Does that make sense? It's like literally the words of God. And so we're called to be those that digest and meditate and give ourselves to God's word because it truly is our only sustainable source of life. The other phrase I like to use, uh, if you haven't heard it, the Bible is the only book that you'll ever read where the author is always there right next to you. The Bible is the only book that while you're reading it, the author is right there with you. And so when we're reading scripture, we're not just reading alone. You're reading it with your father. You're asking him for interpretation. You're asking him to fill your, you're asking him for your leadership. He's right there. God's word is the only thing that brings us life. There's spiritual life in its words. Um, One of my favorite attractions in North Carolina is the uh, Billy Graham Library. Has anyone been there uh, down the Charlotte area? It's incredible. Um, you go through this, this whole tour, and at the end, they have this big uh, projector screen, and you're sitting there, and Billy Graham himself shares the gospel with you and asks you to get saved. And they like, you know, have the whole, whole deal where if you decide to give your life to Christ, and they'll follow up and, and pray with you and all of that. Um, but it's really powerful. And uh, I don't know, many of you know Billy Graham's story, but, you know, got saved in the, in the 40s, and was, or 30s or 40s, and was preaching. Um, and on these preaching tours, and he was a pretty young preacher. I mean, he was in his 20s, you know, seeing these mass revivals and preaching the gospel to thousands. And in his 20s, he was still having some questions about, about the Bible. And there were some kind of uh, liberal the- theologians at the time who were saying that God's word isn't technically true and things like that. And so he would kind of dabble in that some, and then he'd like, no, I think God's word is true. And he'd kind of go back and forth. And he realized that when he would preach the Bible— with conviction, believing it was true, he would see people respond to Christ and he'd see the power of God show up. But when he, he was struggling with doubts and he's like, you know, I just, I'm just not convinced. And when you preach from that place, the power of God wouldn't be there. And so they have what's called uh, Billy Graham's tree stump prayer. And I think in the museum, they actually have like a, a tree stump there to, to kind of uh, memorialize this moment. But basically, uh, Billy Graham was, was struggling with these doubts and struggling with these fears and sensing the call of God, but also just also having a lot of personal apprehension about it. And so he took his Bible and he set it out on a tree stump. And he said a prayer to God. He said, God, I have a lot of questions about this book. I have a lot of questions about faith and about life. But this day forward, I'm choosing to believe that your word is true and let every other man be a liar. 
And he dedicated himself right there to living a life that was true to God's word and that held God's word as the standard and the authority of his life. May that be us today. May that be us today where we have our own tree stump prayer moment where we say, you know what, God, I've been, I've been holding this book a little lightly. I've kind of been picking verses here and there of, I think I'll, I'll do this, but maybe not that, and, and so on and so forth. And, you know, God, I just, I just want to sign up to say your word is my final authority. You know, often the, the picture I get is that, you know, God's word, God's word analyzes, God's word evaluates us. We don't evaluate God's word. So many of us, we stand over God's word. We evaluate, oh, I like this. I don't like this. It's, that's not how it works. That's not how it works. God's word is our authority. God's word is our evaluator. And so we're called to be those who uphold God's truth as the people of God. And that starts with meditating. That starts with absorbing God's word and spending time at his feet connected with Jesus. So, like I said, I want us to spend a few moments doing that together. Are you okay with that? Um, so go ahead and find a partner. If, you, if you're alone, that's fine, and certainly not going to force you to find someone you don't, but you're going to find a partner that you're, I'm going to ask you to pray for in a little bit. Um, but um, I, wanted, I just picked, felt like the Lord put a few scriptures on my heart to share uh, and for us to take some time to meditate on together. So we're just going to jump in with that. Great. Um, the first scripture is Colossians 3. Verse 1 through 4. So either read on the screen or in your Bible app, um, but we're just going to read it together. And then we're going to take 30 seconds. Actually, I'll, I'll go ahead and model this first one. And then after that, uh, the next one, we're going we're gonna to do it together. So feel free to like pray with me, but, but this, is, this is just how we're doing it. So it's just like I'm spending time with Jesus. Okay. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Yes, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Seated at the right hand of God. Yes, Lord. We just see you at the right hand of God. Thank you that you are high and lifted up. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Yes, Lord. I repent for setting my mind on things that are on the earth. Lord, would you set my mind, set my mind as what's above. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your death and resurrection. Thank you for your power. My life is hidden in you. My life is hidden in you. When Christ, who is your life, yes, Jesus, you are my life. You are my life. You are who I long for, who I want to be defined by. You are everything to me. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Yes, God. We just receive that truth. Receive that truth. Thank you, Lord. Yes, God, we look forward to that day. You ever been uh, like marinating a good steak or a chicken and you just got to let it soak for a bit? That's what you're doing with God's word. We want to be marinated in God's word. And so it's nothing that we're trying to rush. It's just you're reading, you're meditating, you're soaking in the truth of Scripture, letting your mind be renewed, but letting your spirit come alive. All right, so this next Scripture I want you guys to do, it's 1 Peter 4, um, 12 through 19, kind of a larger chunk. So I'm actually, I'm not going to read it this time. I want you guys to take some time, take 30 seconds to read it, take 30 seconds to meditate on it, and then I want you to take 30 seconds and just pray 
pray for the person next to you that this revelation of the glory of God, the purposes of God in the midst of suffering would be revealed. So go ahead and just do that now. Yeah, so 1 Peter 4, verses 12 through 19 is kind of the passage we're focusing on. Allow yourself to visualize it in your mind. Visualize Jesus, the reality of the Scripture. It's okay if you don't finish. You just want to encounter God's truth, God's Word. Just let it soak in your heart for a minute. All right, now if you're comfortable, just turn to a, turn to a neighbor and just, just pray a simple prayer. Just pray a simple prayer of what you got while, as you're meditating. Grace for suffering, grace for hardship. Just praying for a spirit of, of joy, rejoicing. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Take another 30 seconds. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus. Uh, one last scripture I want us to meditate on is Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27. I think we'll have it on the screen. Let's just read and meditate this one together. The Lord says, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. So just picture Picture Jesus giving you an exchange of a heart of coldness, a heart of bitterness, a heart of unforgiveness. And you're just offering that to Jesus. You're saying, Jesus, I give you this heart, a heart that doesn't trust you. I give that to you. And Jesus is offering you his very heart, a heart of flesh. And he says, I will put my spirit within you. I'll cause you to walk in my statutes. Be careful to obey my rules. Just hold that scripture in your heart. Just keep it. It's like you're, you're savoring a flavor on your tongue. And you don't, you don't want to swallow. You don't want it to go away. It's just so sweet, so tasty, so delicious, so uh, satisfying. So just take God's word. Just hold it on your tongue. Jesus, we want to be those that meditate on your word. We want to be those who love scripture as much as you love scripture. We, want, we, we don't want to be like the Pharisees that, that missed you, that were so obsessed with memory verses that we missed the Savior. And Lord, we don't want to be swept up in the culture. We don't want to be swept up in society. We want to be anchored in your truth, anchored in your word. So Lord, would you lead us to that place 
Lead us to that place of being anchored in your word and anchored in your truth. We surrender to you. And just as uh, Billy Graham committed decades ago, Lord, we commit this morning. Let your word be true and every man a liar. Let your word be true and culture be a liar. Let your word be true and the opinion of man not matter. We sign up to be those that meditate on your word day and night. Make us a Psalm 1 people. Make us a Psalm 1 people that meditate on your word, that delight in your word. It's not a, it's not a dreary discipline. It's a joyful delight. It's a joyful discipline, the celebration of discipline. We delight in your word. We, de- we delight in meditating on your word. And so I just impart fresh faith and grace. Lord, thank you for this church. Thank you for this family. We just impart just a fresh grace to love you more than ever. To love each other more than ever. To be a vessel of your goodness in Raleigh, North Carolina, the United States, and the world. Thank you, Jesus. We honor you in this place. Amen.